0: listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank Giving Thought in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. Uh, I'm your host as ever Rod Davis. This is episode 34 uh, and this week uh, is a conversation with Connie Gallippi uh, now Connie is the founder and chief executive of the BitGive Foundation. Um now BitGive is a US nonprofit, uh, registered 501c3 for those who are interested. Um and they are the they were the first organization that started taking bitcoin donations way back in 2013 um and they've been working in this space ever since and kind of as you'll hear in the interview expanding more broadly to look at some possible applications um of blockchain kind of away from from bitcoin and cryptocurrency um but Connie and I had a really good wide-ranging chat um in which we you know got into some some interesting issues around kind of the challenges of working with blockchain and crypto, um, we discussed the, you know the idea of crypto philanthropy and whether you know there was a market for tapping into the wealth that had been made um, by people who've invested in crypto and kind of what that might look like um She had some really interesting stuff to say on the challenges um that that they had found in working with Bitcoin and also with blockchain um in terms of the sort of practicalities of moving money around in that way and also the kind of regulatory issues Um, we went off and and discussed uh, ICOs and tokens and kind of why they had decided not really to to get into that space and to stick to other applications of blockchain Um, we talked about uh, transparency and the role of you know that blockchain can play in kind of creating radical transparency and how that could work in practice, why it's a good thing, why there might be some sort of challenges to be aware of. And we also talked about the the practical challenges around the the last mile problem. So kind of how do you get money that you're moving in cryptocurrency and blockchain to people uh, on the ground in a way that's actually meaningful and useful for them. Um, so, you know, as you might have guessed by now, it's quite a sort of blockchain and cryptocurrency uh, focused episode, um, but hopefully that won't put you off um, too much. If you feel like you kind of don't know anything about this, I think this will be um, a great place to start um you know connie knows an enormous amount uh, about this and i think you know we really kind of managed to cover a, a lot of bases in in this conversation so without uh, further ado let's get into the chat and i will be back at the end of the episode for a bit of housekeeping and tidying up great so i'm here talking with connie Gallippi from the BitGive give uh, foundation hi there connie Hello there. Um, and we've spoken quite a bit before, but maybe the the best way to kick off this conversation is if you just want to say a bit about who you are and kind of what your background is and what BitGive is and what you do.
1: Sure. Well, thanks first of all for having me, this is great. Um, so uh, yeah, so I founded BitGive back in 2013. So we're we just turned five years old about a month ago. And for Bitcoin and, and the whole, you know, crypto industry, that's a, a long time to have been around.
0: It certainly is, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've seen a lot of, of lot of entities come and go and we're still kicking. So, um, And yeah, the, the main uh, focus of BitGive has always been to leverage Bitcoin and, and blockchain technology for the philanthropic sector <clears throat> in nonprofits and charitable work on a global scale. And um, there's a lot of ways to do that, uh, but since we're still pretty early in the industry and in the adoption of the technology itself, um, a lot of it has been about <clears throat> education um, and outreach to NGOs and to donors as well, and demonstrating some of the most um, sort of basic benefits of the technology um, for fundraising and, and tracking of funds and movement of funds cross-border globally, um, and how that can impact philanthropy for the better.
0: Yeah, great. Um, And I think one thing I I wanted to kind of spell out up front, which I think I've I've talked on the podcast before, so people who've listened will have have heard me say is, you know, I think there's there's definitely a distinction to be made when you're talking about blockchain as it relates to, to philanthropy and crypto. Between the, the kind of the idea of crypto philanthropy, which is all about how do you kind of get people giving in crypto and tap into some of the wealth that's been made in that in that area and the kind of wider potential for the underlying blockchain technology, which I definitely want to come on to and talk about some of the work that, that you've done with the GiveTrack project and things like that. But in terms of that first bit about crypto philanthropy and just kind of tapping into it. You know, what was it that made you sort of think this was an area worth getting into and kind of what's your assessment of what the wider potential for crypto philanthropy is?
1: Oh, that's a great question. It takes me takes me back to the moment I had sort of the the idea of bitgive. Um so I um my 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 original and still um biggest uh, impact or impression I guess of the tech itself was the, the ability to access people peer-to-peer anywhere. Um, so being able to get funds uh, to someone in the middle of nowhere um, almost instantaneously is mind-boggling. I mean, it's like taking us back to the early 90s and and looking at email and saying, oh my gosh, like we, I can email someone and they can get it directly in minutes and they're in China or wherever. Um, so that's what's always really struck me with it. The potential um, of that is huge. And so when you start to kind of think about how that applies in a, in a nonprofit um, humanitarian aid and philanthropic sector um, lens, it's about, you know, being able to get money to where it's needed the most and faster and more inexpensively, uh, more money gets there for the cause itself and the act, the act the activity that they're trying to implement, whether it be a project or some sort of relief aid or whatever they're doing can happen much faster and more funds are there for for the impact versus going to fees or getting stuck somewhere or taking a week or sometimes it can take a month, um, you know, for funds to even get there. So that's that's what excited me the most. Um, I think. You know, fast-forwarding five years, um, there's still so many hoops that we need to jump through to get to that point where that's actually happening um, on a on a broad scale. Um, it is possible with the tech itself, but the investment in making that a reality hasn't hasn't really um, gotten to that point.
0: Yeah that's that's really interesting because I certainly in terms of other people that I talk to in this space and have had on the podcast who are, are trying to do things with with blockchain um around uh philanthropy or kind of aid there's a definite sense that that all of this the theory and the excitement still holds true but there's there's still quite a big gap in terms of trying to use the existing infrastructure and the tech as it is now to really realize some of that that ambition? And do you, you, is that kind of something that would chime with you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really largely one of my biggest frustrations because I think that people um, are, are very over focused and overexcited about the least interesting things of this technology and the excitement leads to investment and effort and time Going in a direction that doesn't doesn't capitalize or leverage the beauty of the tech itself really at all so it's frustrating
0: (laughs) no i i'd I'd agree i mean my my sense my sense is it would be easy to get despondent but the the thing that keeps me encouraged is is uh, you know different sense that there are people out there actually focusing on what i would think of the much more interesting aspects quietly behind the scenes but they're probably the ones not making so much noise at the moment, but hopefully they're the ones who will last the distance. At least that's, that's my optimistic take on it anyway.
1: <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. And I hope, I hope that they're the ones that over time prevail and that the, te- that the invest- investment, you know, shifts in that direction. Cause that's, I was having a, an interview yesterday about, um, about this in, I said, you know, the, the folks that, that are working on these more practical applications that can really make a difference on the ground and in the world and in people's lives are up against, you know, these very large institutional investments that are now coming in um, to the space. And those it, those larger investment institutions are more focused on different things. And so, the the practical applications are are really up against uh a struggle to get resources to to really demonstrate the beauty and the potential of the technology
0: yeah i absolutely agree um, i just want to kind of focus in because one of the the projects that, that you guys have um have launched and got up and running um which is called givetrack is is you know actually a genuine um, attempt to try and put these sorts of ideas into practice by creating a platform where you can move money using blockchain and kind of get the benefits of reducing some of those barriers of getting money across geographic borders, bring the cost down and get enhanced transparency. Maybe you could say a bit about kind of what the what all the pieces you had to put in place in order to make that work were and what some of the kind of practical challenges you found along the way? Because I think that would be really interesting for people to to hear from somebody who's actually tried to do it.
1: Right. <laughs> sure. Well, I'd be happy to. Um, so yeah, we, we've been working on um, GiveTrack for about two years, maybe close to three years now and our first product is out it's a minimum viable product and we've we've definitely learned a lot from that which is kind of the the purpose of an mvp um and and we've we've definitely come up against a lot of um a lot of challenges we're now building the next version which should be out in early december and we had the uh, budget and resources to uh, to really try to tackle some of the more complex issues with this next version, um, which is great. Uh, but it doesn't, um, doesn't reduce the complexity of the the issues. So, um, so I think, you know, there are many, um, where to begin. I think first is that there's still just a general overall, um, lack of, of understanding of the technology. Um, I think in the last year, a lot, a lot more people have tuned in and those that were, you know, their interest was sparked have dove deeper to try to understand it a little better. Um, but I would say in general, there's still a lot of education needed, um, for the mainstream audience to really understand the tech itself and, how it works so that they're not afraid of it, um, essentially, you know, because there's that the unknowns kind of push people away unless they're really driven to learn more. Um, so that's kind of one. I think another is that that also applies to NGOs. Um, and in some cases the larger NGOs are more, um, you know, institutionalized. And so they have a lot of policies and, um, things that they can't necessarily align or, um, find ways to make this new innovative technology fit into their current policies and systems. So that's, that's a challenge. I think the smaller ones are, um, much more adaptive and, um, you know, excited to try new things and, and in today's day and age, there's a lot of NGOs that are more leaning towards technology. So they're willing to embrace and try try some new things. Um, so those are some things are just around adoption. And then the biggest challenge we really have um, is, is legal and regulatory issues. And that applies on many different levels. Um, I think the main two would be in the us we're based in the us um, as an entity that's working with funding um, on behalf of others, it's very challenging not to trigger uh, what they call money license money services business licensing um, or money transmitter um, issues and that's essentially like you would be considered like a bank so there's very, very high level of regulation and scrutiny and policy and licensing required to operate at that level. And we as a nonprofit aren't going down that road. And I don't necessarily think it's really, um, appropriate as a nonprofit, but it is something that's challenging for us to work around. Um, so that would be one. And then, On a global level, it's also um, uh, regulatory issues have become quite a problem. Like anywhere we're trying to support projects on the ground, we've been trying because we're kind of at a pilot stage. We've been trying to choose projects that we know, we hope will have a successful path of funding to the end result in order to demonstrate that. So we've been choosing locations in the world that You know, there's some sort of crypto adoption. There's some way of converting the funds or using them on the ground um, so that we can demonstrate, you know, from point A to point C or whatever. But in every case that that's happened, um, we've come up against regulatory issues within those countries. And what I've noticed is that it's a common thread that where in in different countries in the world where there tends to be more adoption, um, that's when the regulations come down because they start to see more use and they get concerned and they don't understand it, so they start to shut things down.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. There's, I mean, There's a lot to, to unpack there and uh, quite a few things I want to pick up on. Just taking that last point first, that's it's really interesting because one of the the things I've heard quite a few times identified as the the biggest challenge to to making sort of blockchain based approaches viable particularly in in an international context is that last mile problem where you know it you can move as much money as you want in the form of crypto or tokens on your own blockchain in the middle but often it's that that last bit of actually getting it into the hands of people or organizations on the ground in a way that they can meaningfully put it to use that becomes just insurmountable Um, And it's interesting to hear that you've sort of seen that get worse in some places. I mean, what what do you think are the the kind of future prospects for that? And do you think there's, you know, any ways in which you're kind of optimistic that that problem might become less over time?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that's the biggest challenge, really. Um, So what I think ultimately is that it's it's a temporary issue as far as converting um, crypto assets into like a, a... A fiat currency. Um, and it's similar to like, I was referring to earlier about email, you know, like back in the day when we had emails, um, you know, few people had the accounts and they would like, I remember in college, I would email my mom, but through her boss and then her boss would print it out and hand it to
0: her. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing.
1: You know, so I feel like it's a temporary thing where it's about adoption and the in, the ecosystem growing to the need, and ultimately, I think we n- won't necessarily need to convert crypto assets in order to use them um, someday.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and I don't. And I don't mean that we'll like shift, you know, all fiat currencies to cryptocurrencies by any means, but I think. Just a much more broader adoption would would make it a lot easier. Like you know, something like Apple Pay or whatever has started to grow. Um, but in the meantime, which could be five years, ten years, who knows how long it will take? Um, we do have this issue, and you know, we can benefit from moving the funds globally uh, on the blockchain, and that benefits in the speed, and the, and the reduced costs, and the transparency. But once it gets there, they need to be able to convert it in order to use it and implement projects on the ground. And that's a big problem. And I think really personally, what I see going on is kind of back to my earlier point about investment in different areas of the ecosystem is that. Right now, the, the excitement and interest is around, you know, basically holding these assets, assuming they will gain value, and being able to sell them or trade them, similar to like stocks. And all the investment is essentially going into that functionality, and it's focused on individual investors. Um, there's a little bit now of growth into an institutional market, but. It's really focused on investment and trading. And so we are trying to work with that infrastructure, but it's it doesn't really help in the sense of getting to developing countries, developing economies, and more remote sort of rural areas. So, you know, if people maybe in, say, Nairobi can tap into an exchange online and convert crypto into shillings but that's not necessarily helping you know the people who are out in western kenya on the ground in the middle of nowhere trying to build a school or something
0: yeah and i I, I guess there's something interesting there about whether you can tap into things like the the infrastructure for mobile payments because obviously i mean one of the things in the international development world is that uh, idea that there's a leapfrogging effect in in some developing countries where you know the the fact that they've never had a lot of that traditional infrastructure for for banking and that sort of thing means that it's actually easier for them to adopt some of these newer technologies. Do you think there's there's potential down that road?
1: I do think so. Yeah, I think that it's really a, a matter of like putting investment and focus in that area and and dealing with the regulatory issues because, like I mentioned, Kenya it's a perfect example, probably the earliest and first example of regulatory issues getting in the way. And so this story is, um, you know, you've probably heard it many times, but for your listeners, the story is, you know, they have this wonderful M-Pesa system in Kenya, which is exactly what you're referring to, this sort of prop frog mobile payment system that's prolific there. And they use, you know, just feature phones to actually pay with digital cash for items and it's it's really useful in almost every part of their society even in the more remote areas Um, and what bitpesa has done which is one of the earliest companies in in the industry was they worked to have a bitcoin exchange that converted bitcoin into shillings and put it into mpesa accounts so they're they plugged right into that system, which was really amazing. Uh, But unfortunately, like I was referring to earlier, that once it became more commonly used and understood and known, then Safaricom, who owns M-Pesa, basically shut them down and said, you know, they they went to the government and said, oh, we don't want these Bitcoin people using our rails and what's this weird technology and shut it all down. So... (coughs) Bitpesa continues to totally rock and has moved on to like seven other countries across Africa um, and, you know, continues to be one of the strongest companies in the industry. But these regulatory issues are are real and they become very limiting in that sense. But I think, you know, the same thing happened in India um, and Indonesia. It keeps happening where there's these common sort of mobile cash systems that people people are used to using and then Bitcoin companies leverage that or capitalize on that. Um, but then the government steps in. So,
0: Yeah, no, I, it, it seems like that question of regulation, even though, even though, you know, to outsiders, it probably sounds like the most boring part of the whole thing is actually probably the most crucial thing because there's a sense of kind of two worlds colliding with each other um and i think you know from a regulator's point of view all this stuff is happening so fast and and there is also quite a lot of justifiable room you know cause for concern when they see what's happened in the ico markets and other things which are kind of some of the less good aspects in many ways of of what's been happening around crypto and blockchain that you can understand why their immediate reaction is just to to totally pull up the drawbridge um but if, i mean i guess from from your point of view with a view to the future do you think that the you know the answer is for there to be kind of less regulation or do you think it is that the those two worlds need to kind of start to understand each bet each other better and get more sensible regulation that kind of understands and can can work with crypto and have you seen any examples of that you know in your work anywhere around the world
1: well, yeah, I mean I think ultimately it's about education and people understanding it better. Um I think there are some challenges with at the regulatory level where you know there's an interest in power and influence and control where you know you ultimately even if they understand the technology better, it may concern them even more because you know that was kind of the whole impetus behind Bitcoin's you know creation was we want something that's outside of the traditional systems, and you know doesn't um, lend itself to the influence and and power struggles that happen in these you know government and banking institutions. So there's that side of it that I think could ultimately become a a very significant, you know, sort of political battle on a global scale. Um, But aside from that, you know, in general, I think when we can put that issue aside, there's a lot to be understood and if people understand it better and there are legitimate use cases where it can actually be used to improve how things are done um, save money, save time, improve efficiencies, um, improve transparency. Ultimately, I think it's inevitable that it'll be adopted once there's more um, understanding and more investment in building out the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, no, no, I I agree. Um, just just coming onto or go just cycling back to something I kind of touched on there before when I mentioned ICOs. Like one of the the things that has come to the fore certainly in the last two years or so in the blockchain space has been the use of. Tokens so kind of for anybody listening who doesn't really know what we're talking about here, kind of not cryptocurrencies themselves, but special purpose tokens often built on top of a blockchain, usually ethereum, where people can create them and give them attributes that they want, some of which look like currencies, some of which look like other things like commodities or kind of membership tokens um and obviously, if you're trying to harness blockchain for any purpose, one option is is to go down that route. As, as far as I know, you guys have stuck with using, um, at least initially, the the original Bitcoin blockchain. And, and I think I've done some stuff with Ethereum. But maybe, you know, have you dipped a toe into using tokens? And if not, you know, why not? And what's your kind of take on that approach?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, so... I've been around for a while, and I've seen kind of how this has all evolved over time and I definitely um, have a lot of questions <clears throat> about other especially tokens but other cryptocurrencies too um, and how you know how they're originally um, created and how they function. And how that differs from Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, with Bitcoin, it if you look at the market, you know, caps and of all these different coins is obviously the largest and it's been around the longest, which is one thing. But ultimately, for me, it's about having a truly decentralized and consensus-based blockchain. So any private blockchain, I don't understand what the point is really because if if you're trying to provide true transparency and true accountability, a private blockchain can be modified. And so it basically takes those aspects completely off the table. A lot of people seem to be not understanding that, which is fine, but I think eventually they will. Um, so that's one issue, and the consensus based issue comes into play too. When we look at even things like Ethereum, which are much more um, commonly used versus some of the other tokens or altcoins or things that are out there. Um, And theoretically, it's a decentralized consensus based system, but looking back at some of the early um, issues that have occurred with Ethereum around um like there was a hack of multiple millions pretty early on and there was pretty much like an authoritarian decision made by the founders and the fact that there are founders anyway is a problem right (laughs) um but they basically made an authoritarian decision like oh well you know we're gonna fork now so that all the coins that this hacker got are, are not going to have any value unless they can get a bunch of other people to continue to use that fork. And to me, that's not a truly consensus-based decentralized system. So, you know, there's things like that that um, we, you know, I'm not trying to criticize Ethereum at all because I think all of these new technologies are important and they're testing theories and they're finding, you know, where there's issues and concerns, but ultimately when we to make a choice about what we're going to use and build on, I'm looking at those things. I want to be able to say, you know, we have true transparency. There is, you know, no way someone can change the data on this, on this truly decentralized network. Um, so if we're building a product like Track about transparency and accountability, I need to be able to, you know, really, with with full trust in our choices, um, be able to say that that's what we're offering. If we create our own coin and our own blockchain, it doesn't really do that. Yeah. Right. So
0: yeah, and I, I guess it, it feels as though with a lot of this, as you say, you know, a lot of at the same time as the technology's been tested a lot of the kind of you know the the ideology and the theories as well so there's actually lots of different versions of decentralization on the table at the moment and I guess we're all going through a process of working out what the trade-offs are for, for each of them and actually kind of what we're comfortable with compromising on um and for you know for some people that might be around having a you know degree of centralization or or having founders um, and for other people, it it might have to be kind of 100 percent decentralization, um, which what it made me think, actually, um, just hopefully this doesn't take us off on too much of a tangent or too technical a thing. But one of the things about um, consensus protocols and the ones at the moment that are sort of truly decentralized is they tend to rely on proof of work. Um, again, for anybody listening, that's essentially, without going into the detail, it's a kind of Uh, a a competition-based method of establishing the blocks in a blockchain but it the criticism is that it's very wasteful by design and so it uses up vast amounts of um, energy and so people are at the moment quite strongly advocating for other approaches like proof of stake but people who are against that say that that immediately sort of undermines the decentralized nature of these things i mean do you have a, a view on where that whole consensus argument's going to go or kind of whether you have concerns about about some of these issues with proof of work
1: yeah that's a big topic mm, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah
1: so i mean i think so my background before i started BitGive was in the environmental field and so i'm very tuned into you know issues around that whole topic and you know the energy energy issues there's been some articles that have come out around energy use and um, of the, you know, as this system grows and becomes more widely adopted, what what's that going to take? What's, you know, as, as the difficulty increases for the algorithms, what's it going to take? Um, and all those things are something I pay attention to. But I think, ultimately, um, there are ways around that Concern in you know um, clean energy options, different parts of the world that have um, cooler climates and natural sources of energy, but also if we really look at how much energy we use now for our current you know financial institutions and government institutions and energy that's required to transfer funds globally and. All of those things, um, I think that we'll see that we could replace a lot of that with a more efficient technology. So I think when people look at like energy usage, especially, they're looking at it as though it's on top of the existing conditions, um, but in reality, it would replace a lot of existing e- institutions and systems that require a lot of energy as well, and improve upon the efficiencies, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think as far as like proof of stake versus proof of work, I definitely think there's still a lot more to be um, said about that and and tested. I think Ethereum is looking at this proof of stake option. Um, <clears throat> it's definitely not already live and happening. I think it's more of like a, we think we have a solution um, and everybody's getting excited about that and sort of rallying around that. But is it really a solution? Um, we don't know. And like you said, it may compromise on things like consensus So or decentralized systems. So depending on what people really want um, to get out of this technology, you know, sometimes there are things that we have to accept in order to get the results we want out of something. So to me it's worth it if we can have a truly decentralized system that's consensus-based that no one really has power or control over that is worth it um i mean there's so much corruption in the world um that we could take out of the the hands of those in power um by having something like this so it's it's kind of like apples and oranges when you think about it that way, but
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think on that environmental point, um, I agree. I mean, I, I, you know, sort of again, I stay on top of this because I'm quite uh, deeply kind of concerned about environmental issues. But I, I think often it's painted as a much simpler issue than than it is when you take into account, as you say, the fact that you need to acknowledge the counterfactual of well, we're not talking about doing this as well as all of this traditional infrastructure you know, we're potentially talking about it as a replacement. And also when you look at the source of where the energy currently is coming from in terms of the percentage that's renewables and the percentage that could be, it starts to look like less of an issue um, than it's sometimes presented at, although something we all need to, I think, remain aware of. Um, the the thing I wanted to just come on to ask you about now, which, you know, we've talked, we've mentioned in a lot of, of what we've been saying is about transparency, because obviously that's kind of one of the big, prizes on offer here through through using this technology. Um, but just in terms of kind of why we're we're aspiring for for transparency I think it's it's sometimes worth digging down because it it obviously seems like something that's very positive but um actually kind of why different people want to to use the technology to get to get transparency I think it's interesting. Do you have a sense of whether it in your experience has an impact on donor behavior because it is sometimes presented as though if you use blockchain to make giving more transparent donors would just definitely be have much more confidence in the organizations they're giving to and therefore would give more have you found that to be the case
1: well i think it definitely is intriguing to people um and there's a lot of stories you know out there especially over the last like couple of years about, you know, where's, where are the funds going for things like, you know, the, the Haitian issue with American Red Cross and, you know, just some really big stories that have come out that I think definitely have people wondering like, well, what's really going on? What's happening with this money? And even the NGOs themselves, you know, there's a lot of them are so large and they have people all over the world. They don't necessarily know. It's not like the people in charge actually know what's going on. They don't, you know, those systems that we have now don't provide the information that is needed to to make sure that these things aren't happening. So I think, in that sense, yeah, it's it's intriguing to people. I think that they would love to know more about where the money actually goes and what happens to it, and that their contribution is is having a real impact. Um, but I think this is, uh, you know, also kind of back to the challenge of how we demonstrate that and the level of investment that's gone into demonstrating that reality is is challenging. So we're. We're trying to do that with GiveTrack, but we're kind of this, you know, tiny little entity plugging away on this big, you know, trying to demonstrate this really big potential. And it's challenging. Like our MVP is pretty limiting. It doesn't quite do the job. Um, I hope that our new version will. And the, the hope is that if we can demonstrate that this is really possible, that it can be done. It sets a new standard like, oh, yeah, okay, wow. You know, there is there is a way to do this and that creates demand for it. But it's I think we're ahead of that at the well behind that at, at the at the current stage where we still need to demonstrate it to the to the you know mainstream audience uh, first. But yeah. I think once we can do that, yeah, I definitely think there's an, an interest and we get a lot of inquiries from people about how are you doing this? How does it work? You know, what's really going on? Um, and so it's a matter of of digging into, you know, what's really possible, demonstrating that and doing it in a way that's not too complicated for people, not too techy, you know. Um, and that's challenging because this the tech itself is still in a, you know, I wouldn't say infancy, but maybe toddler age age. <laughs> um, and so in order to make it really easy to use and simple to understand for a mainstream audience is extremely challenging.
0: Yeah, I guess the extent to which you can kind of hide the blockchain in the back end and just use the, the upfront interface to to essentially just make it something that a donor can see uh, or get the benefits of transparency without necessarily having any understanding of how that's, that's being achieved. But as you say, at the moment, that's actually quite a lot more difficult than uh than it sounds um just interested on the the flip side of the the transparency questionnaire we've, we've mentioned about you know why why donors would have an interest if it can be demonstrated to them that it works In if you're going to get that kind of end-to-end benefit of transparency you obviously have to get you know non-profits or civil society organizations on the ground on board and and you have um in the work you've been doing with the mbvp for for GiveTrack what what have you found their attitude is to to the idea of you know kind of radical transparency and and you know if they're positive about it is it just because they see it as a way of getting more donations or do they see benefits for for them as organizations
1: that's a great question um they they're kind of across the board i think their initial interest is generally around like oh you know they see these huge headlines of like you know, somebody donating millions of dollars in crypto or <clears throat> the Pineapple Fund who gave away, I think it was $56 million in Bitcoin back in December and January. And that's often how they initially are, get interested in like, oh, this is a new audience or a new donor base for us. Um, but in many cases, then they start to understand the technology more and they see the, the beauty of what's possible. And that's where we're headed with it. You know, we're, we need to do both because for, you know, the gateway is, Hey, look at this new way of raising money. But the beauty of it is so much more. Um, and we've had experiences across the board with NGOs. Um, and it really doesn't necessarily, you know, you um, know, align with any particular like categorization of them. Like, in some cases, like really large institutions like Save the Children, you know, they were one of the first to jump on board in 2013 or 2014, I think, um, started accepting Bitcoin, you know, and they're huge. Um, But, you know, taking it further with them has been a little harder to get Um, like I was referring to earlier about there's the different sort of institutional policies and systems that are in place for these larger organizations does make it more challenging to apply the tech more across the board than just a fundraising um, aspect. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but I think that, you know, in many cases they're, they're blown away by the potential. um, But there are a lot of them are at that initial sort of gateway stage still of like, Hey, this is a cool new thing we can do. We can be innovative. Um, we can maybe be ahead of the game and maybe we can appeal to this new like crypto millionaire sort of you know or millennial audience in a way, like a different uh a very different demographic than what your typical donor might be,
0: yeah. Yeah and on on that actually it's kind of brought us back round to the crypto philanthropy thing we were talking about at the beginning and you mentioned the pineapple fund there which i know anybody who's aware of uh, a kind of crypto philanthropy here in the UK always always sort of loves that story and i should flag up for readers that you guys actually got money didn't you from the from the pineapple fund i think that was you were one of we the uh, the recipients yeah yeah uh- <laughs>
1: First, um, there was an initial four contributions that they made before they really came out publicly to the world, and we were one of those four. And then they came back and doubled down with us later, and um, we're also the only really Bitcoin or blockchain-focused NGO. Um, There were, I think, Mm. 60 different charities that they contributed to. Um, Yeah, that was huge. That whole thing was just mind-boggling.
0: It still is. Do you do you think we're going to see more of that? Because I mean, there was there was the pineapple fund, and then there was an announcement that I mean, didn't get a massive load of play last year. But the Coinbase um, CEO kind of announced that he was setting up a, a sort of philanthropic initiative. Um, I wonder whether we'll see more of that, or whether one thing that I really wanted to ask you actually that reminds me was at the moment anybody who doesn't kind of keep up to speed with with crypto. Crypto is not in an especially great place. I mean, after the the massive rise in prices at the the back end of last year, it's very definitely entered a market downturn and arguably is in a pretty strong bear market. What I can't work out in my own head, and I'd be really interested to know what you think, is: Do you think that's going to be good for the prospects of crypto philanthropy? Because people might actually be more likely to use this stuff as currency or to or to see giving it away as as appealing. Or do you think it's going to make it less likely because people are going to want to hold on to it for that much longer?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, I think it depends on the audience. Like um, in general, right now, what we're seeing is definitely a slow time because a lot of people who got in, interested and involved in crypto got interested when the price was up really high. So they, you know, jumped on the bandwagon with all the tape and then... They lost a bunch of money when it fell from 20K down to, I think it's at like seven now. So they're, and that's like, you know, the huge growth of the, of the user base is that, that sector essentially. So those people, yeah, they're, they're trying to re, you know, regain um, their value and they're not necessarily doing much about it, but they, and they also got involved because of the hype, right? But then there's this whole different, you know, kind of um, subsection of the ecosystem, which is people like Pine, (laughs) the Pineapple Fund, um, who's been around from the early days and truly believes in the technology and, you know, understands the beauty of demonstrating that and isn't necessarily concerned about, you know, losses and didn't get involved just because of the, the hype. So I think it just depends on the the person. But right now, because of where we are with this sort of adoption of this technology, there are a lot more people who are just in, in it for the, the quick buck who lost some money than there are early adopters who are really excited and interested in demonstrating real use cases. So I think that's where the rub is at the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'm, I'm aware at this point they're in danger of running long, so I'll I'll wrap things up. But just following on from that, what's your kind of final thought in terms of, you know, what what you think is the biggest challenge you need to overcome and what it is that you know keeps you optimistic and gets you up in the morning and working on this stuff?
1: Oh wow. That's a great question. Um, well, I think, you know, ultimately, like people ask me a lot, like, well, what, you know, how do you feel about the price changes and how you, you know, where do you think is all going and that kind of stuff. And, you know, ultimately I truly, truly believe in this technology. And I walked away from, you know, senior level, 15 year career to start this, this foundation and, and make the the reality of, of what's possible with this tech, real. And I know that it's gonna take a long time. I mean, we've been plugging away at this for five years already. Um, and I know it's gonna take time to make it a reality, especially at scale. But even right now in a pilot, you know, individual stage, um, it's, it's very challenging. But ultimately, I know what's possible with the tech. And I know that it can improve so many things, um, which ultimately what drives me is that improving our current systems and the efficiencies of those systems and being able to reach people directly with assets um, or aid is going to dramatically change the problems we have in this world. And that's what drives me and gets me up every day is, you know, we have so many challenges and issues in the world today that, you know, we're chipping away at, but we're not able to really move the needle. And if we can leverage technology like this to clean up a lot of the inefficiencies and access areas that are challenging to access, then I think we can ultimately start to solve some of these problems instead of just chipping away at them
0: great well that's an inspiring message i'm gonna <laughs> go out to redouble my own efforts but anyways i just wanted to say thanks again connie it's been absolutely great having you on the podcast i wish you kind of all the best with uh, in the second uh um relaunch of uh of give track hope that goes well i'll keep my eyes peeled for that um and i may well try and get you back on the the podcast at some point next year to kind of talk us through where that's where that's going
1: awesome wonderful well thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it
0: Okay. Well, thanks again to Connie for making the time to come on the podcast. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, As you can tell, there were some points at which I uh, almost went off down rabbit holes and just about stopped myself. So hopefully that didn't derail things too much. Um, If you are interested uh, in what we were talking about there, I definitely recommend checking out the work that um, BitGive are doing and their work with GiveTrack. Um if you're interested kind of more broadly in stuff around the application of blockchain and crypto uh to philanthropy in the world of charities, um I've written a lot about that, papers and blog posts and stuff, which you can all find on the CAF website, um at the Giving Thought pages or the Future Good campaign pages. Um obviously check out back episodes of this podcast. There's plenty where we've sort of talked about some of these issues before. Uh, follow me on twitter at Rodri underscore h underscore davis where a reasonable proportion of what i talk about has to do with uh, blockchain and crypto Um, send me uh, any ideas you've got for topics we could cover in the future and people i could interview at at givingthoughtsatcafonline.org other than that it just remains to say like subscribe tell all your friends about this proselytize and i will see you next time okay bye